You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. The best thing about making up a good dish is you get immediate recognition. People tell you, God, this is so wonderful. If you build a house, you have to wait two years. They're going to walk in and then I said, oh, yeah, it's wonderful, but the roof leaks. Chef and restaurateur Wolfgang Puck. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. When you think of America's most prominent present-day chefs and restaurateurs, there's really only a handful of names that come to mind, and one comes to mind near the top, Wolfgang Puck. Now, he may be best known for his famous and exclusive Spago restaurant in the Los Angeles area, but Wolfgang Puck has also written a number of cookbooks. He's a TV celebrity. Why, he's even the official caterer for the Academy Awards. I met him a little over 30 years ago when he was on tour promoting his cookbook called Adventures in the Kitchen. So here now from 1991, Wolfgang Puck. I think cooking should be fun. That's the most important thing. You don't want to go in the kitchen and be bored the same way you don't want to be bored in the bedroom, probably. And I think people, when they cook, they should have a good time. And when I cook at home, I always have a glass of wine next to me or drink something. So that way it makes it more enjoyable when friends come over the same way. So I think you really should like to cook, to do, do a good job. If you don't really like it, you shouldn't go in the kitchen. You do gardening. <laughs> I see so many people, though, who they have a cookbook in one hand and the spoon in the other, and they're stirring and say, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? It's, it, it, it's very grim. Well, I think some people are so serious about everything. I think people should have a good time. I mean, you should read the recipes a few times to understand it. And if you don't understand it, you should really maybe try to find out or cook it slowly or whatsoever. But I think, you know, it shouldn't be such a big problem because it's only cooking. It's not uh, science fiction or something like that. You know, it's not uh, science. (laughs) Even people think it is a science, but actually it's a science uh, with a lot of fun. Are are people intimidated at all by, by, I mean... You're a great name. You own great restaurants. You're a great chef. I, said, oh, I could never cook like him. I, you know, I, the, here's these recipes in here, but it'll never taste as good. Well, I think the first time mine didn't taste as good either, so it takes a little practice for everything. And I think uh, the recipes we choose for the book are always recipes which I think people can really try at home. Some are more difficult, some are very easy. The interesting thing is a lot of people who don't know to cook, they'll go right away to the difficult ones. Instead of trying one simple one, you know, I think once you get familiar with it, then it's a little bit easier. If you're very good in the kitchen, you can try something complicated right away. If not, it's better to start simple. And I think we have enough good simple recipes which are really enjoyable and which are fun. Give us an example or two of, of a good place to start. Well, I think a lot of people, for example, we have recipes for pasta. Pasta is a very simple thing to do as long as you know how to do it. So if you wouldn't know how to do it and you prepare a dinner party and you have your boss or somebody come over for dinner and you say you're going to make fresh pasta and all of a sudden you can see yourself with a little machine cranking the pasta, everything falls apart, it would be terrible. So it's better to buy fresh pasta. But once you know, it's certainly so great because I know my little boy who is two and a half years old, he doesn't want to eat store-bought pasta anymore. He wants to have fresh pasta. So people really know the difference, even at that age. You probably... The same thing is with pizzas. You know, a pizza is mm. really simple to do. But if you don't know how to make the dough right, it, become very, it becomes very difficult. Do you, do you recommend, if, you, if you're not real good at the dough, do you recommend some of the, these ready-made doughs that are in the package at the, the grocery store? I really would think if somebody's into cooking, they should try to make their own dough. And, you know, it is not that hard once you follow the recipe. And I have a lot of people like the recipe in my cookbook for the dough. is very simple. 
and it's not really that hard to make. The ex most important thing is to really follow the recipe exactly. And that's with every pastry thing is the same. You know, if you do pastry, if you don't follow the recipe, you said, oh, I don't like uh, my cake too sweet. I, I don't gonna add almost no sugar to it. The cake doesn't come out right. Or if you say, I'm on a, I don't want any eggs in it, so the ca cake doesn't come out. Cooking, you can uh, lift the salt out. If you don't need any salt, it wouldn't change the recipe, except if it would taste a little fat. But uh, pastry and those have to be precise. Uh, for, for years, I've been making chocolate chip cookies with the recipe on the back of the Nestle's Toll House package, just following the instructions. Mm -hmm. And people say, wow, Bill, you make great cookies. And I keep telling them, all I did was follow the instructions. That seems so simple. Absolutely. It, it is really simple. And most of the time, people follow the uh, instructions halfway through. And then they said, oh, I know it. I can do it on my, by myself now. I don't need a book anymore. I don't need a recipe anymore. They throw a book in the, on the side. And then they end up with something which is not right because they didn't read the whole thing through. I had many times that happen, you know, when people really think they really know how to cook. And then they still, uh, you know, it's a new recipe, something new, and they read halfway. And then I said, God, it is maybe okay what you made, but it's not really what we intend to do. Well, you know, that's a great accidental way to discover yeah, something new. Isn't and it? many times good things happen that way. <laughs> well, I, I, it occurred to me that after you've made it your way and follow the instructions very carefully, maybe you've made it do a dozen times, maybe you've made it 20 times, is it then that you begin to say, well, maybe I should use just a little bit more oregano? Absolutely. I think really the fun of the kitchen is that you improvise, that you make it the way you really like it. If you make a pizza, for example, and uh, you like it spicy and then the recipe doesn't say spicy, so there's nothing wrong with chopping some jalapeno peppers and uh, add them to it or use some chili flakes or whatever you like. And, uh, or if you like a lot of garlic, so just add a lot of garlic to it. And I think that's what makes fun in cooking. Because everybody's different. Some people like the food very bland, some like it very spicy, so you really can adjust it to your own taste. And the book is really a guideline, you know, it should give you the framework of a dish, and then you can play around once you know it. You know, I've always been curious about something. How is it that, that people like you stay so much slimmer than people like me? You cook for a living. I eat a lot. <laughs> I do both. <laughs> I actually think, you know, cooking is very hard work. And I really find out I'm 42 years old, you know. It's easier when you're 25 even. Because I start at 8 in the morning. I go to the market like at 7.30, 8. I go to the fish market, buy fish, come home. And I go home at 2 in the morning. And, you know, standing behind the stove for five, six hours is really hard work. It's hard on your nervous system, and it's very tiring, and uh, mentally especially, because there's no customer you can tell them, listen, can you wait three hours, and I'm going to give you your dinner? <laughs> they want it right away. When they want it, they want it. And if all of a sudden you have 20 tables sit down almost at the same time, it's very hard. What do you like best about the restaurant business? I love the cooking part of it the most. I love to cook and I love to go to the market. I love, I hate to go shopping. Like my, my wife buys me all my clothes, but I love to go and buy fish. I could buy fish even if I don't need it just because I said, God, this one is so fresh. I have to have it. And I don't want anybody others to buy it. We have to have it. So I buy it and even the food cost goes higher and everything, but I really have to have it. Like in the fall season when we have white truffle, I can live without, we could live without truffle. The restaurant would be as busy probably, but I spend eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month in white truffles just because I really love them. And it really gives me, I think that's the whole excitement, the whole pleasure about cooking if you can do what you want. That's why I never could work for Hilton Hotel or Marriott. <laughs> After this short break, Wolfgang Puck addresses the one thing about cooking that drives me crazy. Now 
now back to my 1991 conversation with Wolfgang Puck. Do you ever buy something thinking, I'd love to make something with that, but I don't know what, and then you decide later what to make with it? Many times, yeah. Many times, like I have a friend who has a fish market in L.A., but they also have a fish market in Tokyo. And they bring in Japanese fish sometimes, and sometimes I don't know what I'm going to make. I said, should I make it like the Japanese make it, or should I make it something different? And sometimes I use them for something completely different, and I invite them sometimes to taste it, and they say, God, you know, we never thought about that. <laughs> There's a, a joy of creativity that comes from painting a great painting, or composing a great song, or... Making up a great recipe. Actually, you know, the best thing about making up a great dish is you get immediate recognition. You know, people tell you, God, this is so wonderful. If you build a house, you have to wait two years. They're going to walk in and then I said, oh, yeah, it's wonderful, but the roof leaks. And with the food, it's so great. And if you don't like it, you throw it away and make a new one. And that's really, I think, uh, what I love about it, too. And, you know, it's a little bit self-indulgent if you get right away gratification and uh, people tell you, 200 times a night, oh, how wonderful it is. But on the other hand, if somebody tells me, you know, he didn't like it, I cannot sleep. I mean, I can have 300 people tell me it was wonderful. One person ruins my whole night. <laughs> how did you decide what recipes were going to go in this book? Well, at a certain point, I have to start, you know, making up recipes, and then I have to stop. And there are recipes that we did over a period of time and cooked them at the restaurant. And it might be that in two years you come to the restaurant, we don't do almost any of them beyond to something different. So actually, in a way, it's a period of my work during for two or three years what we did. And maybe that's why in five years I probably have another cookbook because they, I do different dishes. So and some of them might still be the same because customers want them. I was just going to say, there's, there's no such thing as the Wolfgang Puck Big Mac, you know, three billion served. Well, you know, actually, what's funny, I was counting with all the restaurants. We have five restaurants. Mm. All together, we serve 700,000 people a year, which is a lot. I mean, I even, I even was shocked <laughs> about it. I mean, That's a lot of meals. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, uh, in restaurants like in San Francisco, you know, at Post Rio, we serve... Uh, 200 people for lunch, 350 people for dinner, and you multiply that by 365. It's a lot of people and a lot of people to take care of. So you really have to have a good stuff. Are, are there certain dishes that, that you thought would be popular that uh, didn't quite click and maybe others that you thought, okay, well, we'll put this on the menu and see who buys it, and it takes off? Oh, yeah, many times. Like I made up a salmon dish, which is actually in, in a cookbook, mm. and I made it for a wine tasting and I said you know people probably will like it but it's nothing that uh, great when I did this thing uh, this dinner in New York for the wine tasting everybody in the dining room said this was the best uh, dish of the whole dinner and we had all different chefs doing uh, each one did a, a dish and they said this was so perfect and now I really like it because you really can do it at home as perfect as anybody because you cook the salmon underneath the boiler with ginger and black pepper on top and that way, if you have a party for 10 or 12 people, everybody gets the same cooking time on the salmon. They all look wonderful. So it's not one is well done, one is rare, whatsoever. They're all the same. And you don't even have to use a saute pan. So for a home cook, it's certainly important sometimes to do something which is simple to prepare. Certain uh, steps, you can make them in advance. You know, you can do them a day ahead or half a day ahead. But then at the last moment, you still can cook it to order, and it's so wonderful. You know, it, it struck me that there are certain words that you just say the word, and you can, you can smell bacon, uh -huh. cinnamon. You know, you just say those, those words. But I think that's what it should be. That's how a menu should be. You know, in the old time, they used to make menus up and say, uh, filet of beef Mirabeau or filet of beef Henry IV. 
Nobody knew what it was, and it wasn't very appetizing sounding. Today, if you would say, you know, I have a uh, sautéed uh, red snapper, for example, with a, a new potato crust, with a red onion uh, ginger sauce, with it, then you already can taste it almost. And I think that's really, the menu should be almost like whet your appetite. It does that. Yeah. <laughs> you made me hungry already. <laughs> Some people get discouraged when they when they get a cookbook because they find out that it lists a whole bunch of ingredients that they don't have in their kitchen that they may buy to make one recipe, and they know they're never going to use all that stuff again. It, 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 do you do you try to keep the ingredients list? Short? Yeah, and I also I try to keep it for things what people can use for other things, so that they are not so esoteric that you use them once. And then they sit in the back of your closet for the next two years, or you try them six months later, and they have no more flavor. So I think it's important to have ingredients which are readily available and also which are used to fairly common. Obviously, some ingredients are depend on the season and uh, you know on the availability still, because in certain markets, I'm sure in the Middle West, it's a lot of things you can find as easy as in a metropolitan area. The other day, I had uh, there was a recipe I wanted to make red beans and rice. And the recipe called for one bay leaf. I don't want to pay $4 for a jar of bay leaves if I need one bay leaf. That type I think you should thing. plant a tree, maybe. I mean, it might be too cold here. <laughs> That's right. That's if great in Italy, like in Rome and everywhere. You see these uh, trees all over mm. the place. And when you use a fresh one, it is so strong. I remember I worked once in South of France talking about bay leaves. And I, make it, I made a lobster bisque. And... I am used to put like one or two bay leaves in it, you know, the dried one. Mm. I went out to the tree, picked up two bay leaves from the tree. The whole lobster soup smelled not like lobster, <laughs> but like bay leaf. <laughs> and bay leaf is one of the most difficult uh, herbs to use because it has such a particular flavor and it's so strong. And if it's overpowering, then it's not good anymore. When it comes to the proper utensils as well, it, it is you can't just cook on that beat-up old saucepan your mother gave you when you were in college and the measuring cup that has, you know, the marks are all gone and you can't tell how much. You have to have good equipment. I you? think it, to have uh, not too much equipment but have good one, it's very important, and to use it for the right reason. If your mother gives you a great knife, you know, to cut, don't use it as a screwdriver to repair your car. <laughs> And the same thing if she gives you a nice uh, saute pen, don't use it to to, uh, put nails in the wood or something like that. (laughs) So I think you have to take care of it like if it's something really important. And it is important to have really good equipment and to keep the knives sharp. But the only way you're going to keep them sharp if you use them, this cutting knife to cut, if you need to chop bones, you get a cleaver. And if you use your little knife to, you know, try to chop up bones, you know, you're going to have big dents in it. I'm going to make a bread knife out of it, and not a good one. <laughs> Wolfgang Puck is 72 now, and he lives in Los Angeles. Oh, just a little piece of trivia, by the way. I've done over 10,000 interviews over a period of 30 years. In all those 10,000 interviews, there were only two people I've ever interviewed named Wolfgang. Wolfgang Puck, and a scholarly author who'd written a book about the environment, that kind of thing. Two authors named Wolfgang. I interviewed them both the same day. Imagine that. Okay, now you can find easy Amazon links to Wolfgang Puck's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my 2009 interview with another very well-known chef and TV star, Emeril Lagasse. Bam! They take it right out of the refrigerator, right onto the grill, and they wonder why it sticks. Then they wonder why it's all charred before it's cooked internally because it's on so high. And don't miss my 1994 interview with the queen of all 
celebrity chef's Julia Child. They're just afraid of food. A healthy person has a little bit of everything. The idea is moderation in all things. But I think the media has just scared us. They've taken the fun out of food. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, it's Martin Luther King Day in America. And to commemorate, we'll revisit my 2003 interview with the man who was only seven years old when his father died, Martin Luther King Jr.'s son, Dexter Scott King. I still am baffled how he you know, was able to raise a family, write several books, lead a major movement, and still make such an enormous contribution to humankind. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thank you.